Hey everyone, and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, and this is DCI number 110. In this episode, Brian and I talk to Drew Clark of Reactor Interactive to discuss their new game, Sector 13. Sector 13 is an arcade space shooter uh, that looks to bring back the glory days of Descent, Freelancer, and Crimson Skies, but also bring it into the modern era by fixing some of the flaws. It's currently in the middle of its Kickstarter campaign, and you can vote for it on Greenlight. For more information on Sector 13, head on over to darkstation.com. There you can find several links, including the trailer, in the show notes to this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Well, Drew, thank you so much for joining us on the Darkcast here tonight. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing really well tonight, thanks. I'm, uh, I'm honestly, glad you're I'm, here. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm a little stressed out. I mean, this is, uh, besides being, you know, the holiday season here, having a, an active Kickstarter running, a green light campaign, trying to hold my day job down, to, uh, spend some time with the kids and family, and it's just, you know, it's that time of year. It's a little crazy. Sure, sure. Hey, I really want you guys to know that I really appreciate the time, and I'm excited to talk to you. Absolutely. Hey, we, we're we're glad that we could be here for you, and we're glad that you uh, you had the time to sit down and talk about Sector Thirteen. Before we get into that, though, let's talk a little bit about who you are and what you do at Reactor Interactive. Sure. Um, well, my name is Drew Clark. I'm actually the uh, lead artist uh, for Sector Thirteen. Um, Reactor Interactive is a, it, it, it's a very small company. It's it's it started out literally as just me and my best friend Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, we met in college. Uh, because him and some of his roommates at college had decided they were going to try and make a video game. And us being young and naive, you know, they thought they were going to make basically Grand Theft Auto in space and they were going to do it in their dorm room while working around classes and things. But um, I had actually worked on some video games previously, some very small, this is like the late 90s, early 2000s, some very small games um, as a hobby with some friends of mine from back in my hometown. And somehow word of that got around to Ryan and his and his friends. Uh, they found me. We talked. I was really excited to meet some other guys who were also excited about just trying to make a video game as a hobby the way I've been doing for a couple of years. And um, the first thing I did was say, hey, guys, you know, this is way too ambitious. If you want to make a game like like Grand Theft Auto but in space, you know, you should start with one small piece of it. They had this grand vision for this game, and I was like, if it's if it's going to be in outer space and it's going to involve space combat, why don't we just start there? They were and trying actually, to fit the whole the whole pie in their mouth rather than just a slice. Yeah, I, yeah. I tried to explain. You know, the games are made up of of uh, of systems and subsystems, and and I was like, if if you can successfully put together really well one really high polished piece of that game that you're really proud of, you know, you've got you've got something there and you've got a place to start and we decided we would focus on the, the space combat and that's really how Sector 13 was born nice um, yeah but you know it was college and it wasn't long before guys got really busy and started to fall off and sure. get girlfriends and stuff I mean, but <laughs> Ryan and I persevered he actually wound up dropping out of college he, he moved into my apartment with me we worked on it together for years <laughs> Um, it's, 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 a, it's a long story how we finally came around to uh, years later having a, a demo version of Sector 13 that we were really proud of 
Uh, we refer to it as version zero, and we put it out there via gamedev.net and a variety of other sources and got ourselves quite a following. We actually managed to, um, we got invited to the uh, Slam Dance, which is like the indie game part of like the Sundance Film Festival out in, U- in Utah. We, uh, we went there as part of one of the first, oh, what was it called? IGA, yeah, we were one of the first um, independent game awards oh, wow. festivals. We were one of the very first ones. Yeah, we were one of the finalists. This is back in like 2003. Um, we got invited to various game developers conferences. We were in Austin, Texas. We went with the GameDev.net crew to San Francisco to the actual um, game developers conference, the GDC, back in 2005. We had a booth. We were showing Sector 13 off. It was great. And then we got job offers. Um, in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so when we accepted the job offers and went to work for this uh, game development company, we, you know, as part of that, we had to put Sector 13 on the shelf. And so we did. We walked away from it for about four years or so um, until that company got into some trouble. Uh, you know, they'd put out a couple products, but they weren't doing too well, and the investors were kind of pulling funding. funding. So um, Ryan and I left that company and decided. You know, once we had our lives stable again with new day jobs and things, that we'd go back to that indie spirit like we had in the early days and, and resurrect Sector 13 and bring it back under a new modern game engine. And uh, that's the version where now we have on Kickstarter. Very cool. Very cool. How different is kind of what we're looking at here on, on Kickstarter versus the, not necessarily the original concept, because obviously you guys dialed that back a lot uh, when you started working on it, but uh, from what you and... Uh, Ryan were working on, you know, uh, when you kind of started working in the industry, how different is it? Uh, you know, I'm really proud of this in that it is almost the same game. Like, the, the game that we set out to make more than 10 years ago is, this this current version is very, very faithful to that original vision. Like, it was a great fun idea back then, mm-hmm. and um, we still think it's a fantastic fun idea now. Like, back when we first set out to make this, uh, I some of my favorite games were, like, Crimson Skies on the Xbox, and before that I was playing a oh, lot yeah. of... Col- oh, I loved Crimson Skies. Yeah, that was a great I was game. playing a lot of uh, Colony Wars on the original PlayStation. Um, we were, of course, huge fans of Descent Free Space and Wing Commander and games like that. And ten years ago, we sat down and said, why isn't anyone making games like this anymore? Like, great... We were playing Half-Life 2 at the time. We were playing Unreal Tournament. Uh, you know, a lot of the great first-person shooters of the time. And we're like, why has no one done this? We've learned so much about, like, competitive multiplayer games, what works, what doesn't work. Why has no one taken all this modern gaming knowledge and applied it to those old games that we loved, that were somewhat pioneering? Like, I think Crimson Skies was one of the first Xbox Live-enabled games ever back when it was dial-up. And, uh, you know, we wanted to see what that genre could be like if it was, you know, had lobbies and matchmaking and everything else like first-person shooters uh, had at the time. And um, that is still at the core of what we were trying to do with this latest version of Sector 13 is just say, you know, what are first-person shooters doing right now? Is there anything they're doing that we couldn't apply to the space combat genre? And for the most part, it all works. Like we have the, the t- we've experimented with team modes, regicide. Uh, we've got game modes planned for like um, capital ship style tug of war, node like battlefield style node warfare. Um, the classes of starfighters like the interceptor, strike fighter, 
uh, fighter bomber and tactical fighter is actually based on the class system from games like Battlefield mm-hmm. and uh, uh, other shooters like that, where and Team Fortress, where you essentially have like classes um, and pre-configured loadouts and things. And you know, we've long said that if a first-person shooter can do it, Sector Thirteen can probably do it and be just as fun. Nice, very nice. Uh, now you mentioned that uh, b- before we kind of uh, get into the the game um, more so. You mentioned that you worked with a another company. Did you do art there as well? Is that what you went to school for, or uh, how does that all kind of fit in? You know, it's funny. I didn't. I actually I wanted to. Uh, I went to school for art. I went. I went to school. I was a multimedia production and management major. I wanted to do. I wanted to do video game art essentially, um, and I had an art traditional art minor, like traditional pencil painting media art minor as well um unfortunately that wasn't what i found a job in out of college i actually went up working for a bank as a project manager and i was doing quite well at it and at the time with this video game company it had a full art team but what they really needed was someone to um or organize and manage them so I was actually hired as a project manager with the promise that I could hopefully get into some of the art a little bit later on. Um, but I wound up, I wound up organizing uh, four different agile development teams. Um, we had a uh, uh, a Unity 3D development team, a PHP PHP development team that was working on like the the website side of our game. Um, we also had a uh, .NET team because we had a uh, .NET storefront and uh, ASP.NET storefront, and we had web services connecting it all. So they were running agile, traditional, like two-week scrum sprints. But there was a art team, uh, which was really a pipeline. We had you know the traditional uh, modelers and texture artists that were working with animators and riggers, and it was really just like a, a handoffs in the pipeline, um, as well as a creative uh, writing team and content team that really what they were doing just needed coordinated with the development sprints so that the development sprints would have art on time, ready ready to hook up scripts to and get into the engine and things and all that type of stuff. So that's what I did there. I was a, I was a half scrum master, half project manager, um, which is actually what I was doing for a profession anyway and is actually what I'm back to doing now as my day job. So I've never actually been a professional artist, which is... <laughs> A little bit heartbreaking for me, actually, because that is my dream. That is what I've always wanted to do, and I'm still trying to get to. Nice. That's that's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, funny. <laughs> that's that's the word I use. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so, in in science fiction, there's been a lot of uh, of famous uh, districts, if you will. Um, you know, District Nine, uh, District B13, uh, which they did a lot of uh, uh, parkour there. Um, but there's not a whole lot of sectors. Uh, what what's sector thirteen and what makes it special? Why should we care about it? Oh, you know we we have a uh, writer on the game named uh, he goes by Grumpy Sam. His name is Jay. I saw that, and I, I, I later on I was going to ask why he was grumpy. <laughs> if you've met him, you wouldn't you wouldn't even need to ask the question. But, uh, uh, no, he he's fantastic. It's funny. I I came up with the story and started the lore for Sector Thirteen, and I put that I put that out there on sites like GameDev.net, um, and he approached us and said, "Hey, I really love the the concept you guys have going." And I've always he this is this is hilarious. He is a surgeon. He is actually a doctor, a in uh, a, a surgeon who has dreamed of being a science fiction writer. 
you know, I'm a I'm a scrum master that dreams of being an artist. He's a doctor that dreams of being a science fiction writer. Uh, is so, this the land of misfit toys? I'm, no. <laughs> you, don't, you don't do what you're trying to do. Both of us stumbled into like extremely prof- uh, successful careers by accident while trying to do something else. But anyway, uh, so he he really liked the story that I'd put out there and wanted to help us develop it in a f- full fledged like novelized lore. And at the time, we were paying a lot of attention to games like World of Warcraft and like that, where they had like lore masters hmm. and um, had giant wikis of lore and things and, and just loved that whole concept. And Ryan and I really, I mean, we want to build a universe. As much as we love Sector 13, Sector 13 is actually meant to be a part of a much bigger story, that original ambition Ryan had in college that we would love to make someday. So I had put out there this idea that... Um, the story, Sector 13 story is actually a small piece of a much larger story we'd like to tell someday around this idea that, um, you know, the galaxy was torn apart by war and there was this one whole arm of the galaxy that discovered a way that where they could uh, essentially quarantine their arm of the galaxy from the rest. Uh, our method of faster than light travel we called fold space. Uh, it's kind of based on how they do it in Macross, the Macross series, this idea of folding folding space going from point A to point B and never being anywhere in between, but you have to travel through lanes um, through space. I, I've, like a, I've heard heard of that travel before. It did not work out too well for Sam Neill or uh, Larry Fishburne. You know, I love that you bring that up because I love that movie. Event Horizon scared the crap out of me Absolutely. in high school. But anyway... <laughs> So, um, Sector 13 story in a nutshell is that these the scientists create this weapon. Well, maybe not even a weapon isn't even the right word, but they it, they activate it like a bomb, essentially shutting down the fold space lanes um, that connect Sector 13 to the rest of the galaxy. But something goes goes terribly wrong, and all contact with the entire sector, which you know Sector 13 of the galaxy, is lost for like a thousand years. Until finally someone rediscovers a fold space lane that has healed itself or become available again into the sector. And when uh, they begin to explore the sector, they realize no one is there. There are thousands of formerly habit, uh, habit, uh, inhabited star systems where there is just no one left. Hmm. So the Galactic Confederation, which uh, rose out of the ashes of all the war from the core systems, realized that it could ignite another war if they just let you know, different star systems go in there and start claiming land. So instead they decided to do a corporate charter to exploit the region and that no one nation could claim uh, any sources in Sector 13. You would need a corporate charter from the GCDF, we call it, which stands for the, the Galactic Confederacy's uh, Defense Force. Okay. So all these corporations go in Sector 13. The GCDF tries to remain somewhat laissez-faire with it. And... Um, then we say a few more generations go by and there's only four major mega corporations left and they're in complete open warfare at this point. Like uh, the typical corporate machinations have gone from Cold War to full-fledged Hot War to the point where they're nation-states of their own with the power to push back against the GCDF and essentially have declared themselves um, sovereign nations that control Sector 13. So you have the choice to be on any one of those four factions within Sector 13 or on the GCDF itself. And... Um, we hope players will really buy into the stories of these different factions because I've actually tried to have them each represent a different political philosophy um, in that there's not necessarily a good guy, a bad guy, or a right and a wrong, but really just what do you kind of identify with more. And each one is just kind of fighting for their way of life. Although, as far as the official storyline goes, we do have an official winner at some point that leads into a much bigger story that we hope to tell down the line. 
Okay. Very cool. Yeah, it's it's funny as an artist and a designer, I I say that they actually have a, uh, political affiliations, and I actually try in the game's design to have some of that kind of show through um, in the iconography associated with the factions, the the colors that they use, uh, having consistent naming conventions. Like um, we have one faction where everything and it's named after dragons, one faction where everything is named after a sword, one faction where everything's named after like a bird of prey. Um, so I really, I really try as a designer and an artist to make sure that these factions, um, even if you, if, if you play Sector 13, I hope to be able to introduce a new fighter, a new ship, a new fighter, a new art asset of any kind, and have you, the player, instantly recognize what faction it belongs to without having to have any of that explained, because the iconography and the design is just really consistent. That even kind of shows some of that philosophy of what the factions are all about. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So as the, the the main game being um, like a kind of dog, you know, like space dog fights. Um, what so obviously being able to tell that on the kind of field of battle view will be uh, will be super helpful in you know kind of picking out your friends from uh, from your enemies. Is um, are the the battles going to be like you know everybody kind of uh, like each team at each other, or all four going to be involved? Or are they kind of splitting themselves off with alliances and somewhat? Um, that will actually be entirely determined by the by the gameplay mode. Um, we try very hard to make sure that people understand this is not like a it's not like Eve Online. It's it's not a simulator where you necessarily pick a faction and you have to ride that out into perpetuity. Um, this is the sort of game I would say it's much more like Halo in space, or even uh, Destiny's Crucible mode, which is a game I'm really into right now, by the way. Um, you, I'm hoping, you know, it's the sort of game where you're going to sit down, you're going to play for a half hour to two hours, have a blast shooting things with your friends. Um, we have some progression as far as we have a lot of things planned as far as your pilot profile goes for you to be able to progress, but you won't be tied or forced, forced to staying necessarily aligned with any one particular faction. Um, you can pick a different one every time you play if you want. But we do want to have gameplay modes that are heavily based upon, like, uh, you could pick, if, if you pick team mode, uh, or like a clash mode, um, your, you as the host of the game could actually set as an option that everyone on a team must stick with a particular faction. So mm -hmm. we have like the Daytrex faction or the Dracon faction. You could say team one is Dracon, therefore team one may only pick from Dracon starfighters or one of the one-off type of mercenary fighters we have to supplement them as well. So you can set that if you like and force, you know, it, it basically have like a, a Daytrex versus Aurobine match. Um, but we're not forcing, you know, we're not forcing anything, any sort of commitments long term. And there's no, are there any kind of, like if somebody wanted to commit long term, are there any kind of benefits to that? Or is that just part of a complete philosophy? Um, well, the way I like to explain it is if you've ever played a fighting game like um, Street Fighter or Tekken, I'm, as, as the designer and the artist, I'm hoping you'll be attracted to one of these starfighters just by the way it looks at first. But I'm also hoping eventually you'll settle with one particular favorite that hopefully as you, if you commit to that one starfighter because it's your favorite, it fits the way you play the best. Um, you, it, you know, its flight characteristics and its available options and things happen to just suit your style the most. I'm hoping that that commitment to that fighter is paid off by you feeling like, you know, you have mastered that one, say, more than any other. 
very similar to like you know I used to play Tekken a lot and I've eventually settled on just one or two characters that I always played with despite there being like 40 something in that game they were my favorite and I was committed to them and I felt like you know I had mastered them versus the other characters and I'm kind of hoping to duplicate that feeling with our starfighters so it's more the the benefit that you get of just playing that class and learning it and becoming good at it because you're used to it as opposed to getting specific like in-game rewards for sticking with the class or anything like that. Definitely, yes. Okay. But I will say that I'm hoping to have a system of in-game rewards as well um, that encourages the that encourages the player to both seek out variety and reward commitment. So we've looked at ways through um, achievement-based unlocks. Like uh, I plan to make dozens of different skins available for every fighter in the game, including we have some uh, Kickstarter exclusive skins for Kickstarter backers. And I'd like different skins or even different options around your fighter to be unlocked based on achievements. So it could be something like, I, I don't know, and by the way, I'm pulling these, I am pulling these out of my butt right now, so don't, don't quote these as if they're real numbers. <laughs> I'm but already could, putting them in the forum, we're good, don't worry. <laughs> no, no, but like, like let's say that uh, your favorite oh. fighter is uh, the Rapier. If you fly the rapier constantly and end up getting like a thousand kills with it, there could be a skin that unlocks that anyone who sees you flying the rapier with that skin knows you've scored at least a thousand victories with it. That kind of thing. Or, um, you know, if, if you like the Venom the best, there could be a skin that unlocks for the Venom, which is based on having won 100 uh, team-based competitive matches. So now you have that skin for that Starfighter that it in itself shows off the achievement that you've achieved. Uh, and I'm just, you know, stuff like that, I'm, I'm trying to, we're working on a full uh, incentivized system to in both encourage commitment to particular starfighters, as well as other ways via your pilot profile to encourage variety via rewards and accolades that come from having gotten certain achievements with multiple starfighters. At the same time, I'm trying to avoid, I'm trying to avoid this idea that I don't even know how to explain it. Like I'm a 30-year-old guy with a with a with a wife, kids, mortgage. I don't like when games become a commitment. Like I don't like when games become an obligation. You know sure. I, mean? um, I love Destiny, but I even found that I was playing that too much just for the psychological addiction of it. Oh, I've got to go do my daily mission type of thing instead of genuinely enjoying logging in and playing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I managed to get away from some of the routine grind type of activities into some of the more um, uh, so some of the more some of the activities that I wasn't participating in as often because they were the ones I found the most fun, without fear of if I, if I was missing out on my daily marks or fear that I might be missing out on something, but just strictly playing for fun that I enjoyed the game so much more. So I'm always trying to, as a designer, I'm always trying to find that balance between incentivizing players, rewarding players, but at the same time not wanting the game to feel like it's a commitment that you are going to be missing something if you don't, you know, continue to do the grind. Sure. Yeah, I I totally understand that. I'm I I don't have kids. I'm not married, and it still annoys me when <laughs> games require me to, you know, try to log in every day and and do stuff. I just that I, I don't know. There's something about that that feels like work. And even if I enjoy the game, like telling me I need to do that, um, it it's I just find it annoying. So. <laughs> yeah, in my previous life, and I, I hesitate to even. I hate hesitate. I very hesitate. But in my previous life, they they were trying to implement like the Farmville 
type mm. of model to gameplay. Essentially, that that type of you know, if you log in today and complete these certain activities and invite your friends and things, we'll, right. we'll give you some sort of treat. You know, I I I find that very manipulative, and I purposely avoid those types of games. But yeah, that tends to drive me, especially because I come from a background of like kind of like heavyish MMO play, and the moment kind of. Especially like you know stuff like WoW, and now the newer ones started to move to that kind of model where they were giving you daily quests, and if you you know you performed them, you worked up to this thing. The moment it started becoming more like a second job, I I, I would leave those games because it's like no, I can't do this. I'm not, I can't be driven to to you know especially because I have a wife and kids as well, and it's like I can't be driven to like constantly have to like have that kind of like carrot dangled in front of me to no 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 I have to go back I gotta. I gotta sign in or I'm missing something. And you know, Halo 2 never needed to dangle a carrot in front of me to get me to run home and log on and shoot my friends up for a while. It was just a brilliant, fun game. And it's kind of like, you know, that uh, that's what I'm hoping to recapture. Sure. Um, I, don't, I think any modern game, any, any modern competitive multiplayer game needs to have a progression system of some kind that is fun and makes sense. At the same time, I'm hoping that the core gameplay itself is so much fun that, that, that that's all you need to love playing Sector 13 and to sign in every day. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, in the, the Kickstarter video, you guys talked about some of the issues um, that, uh, I guess, specifically, you know, space uh, fairing combat games have and that you've been working to fix those. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what some of those issues are and and how you're changing it and you know resolving those issues oh sure i, I mean for, for one it's accessibility i know that mm-hmm. uh I, like despite the fact that i used to love wing commander and games like that i've i found myself a little bit afraid of star citizen just feeling like uh, uh i was gonna have to commit a very large amount of the time. rest of your life basically just, just to feel like I've just to feel like I've mastered the basics of the game, I felt like it was it was going to be a commitment in itself. Sure. Um, I know Elite Dangerous gets joked around about how I've played the game for twenty hours now and I can finally dock with a space station. And it's like, it's like <laughs> I don't want I don't want any of that type of thing. I I hope accessibility. If you've ever played a first person shooter on a console, you can play Sector Thirteen. You could pick up a game pad right now and play it. And um. On our YouTube channel, we have what we call developer deathmatch sessions, where we bring in special guests, YouTube tw- uh, channel owners, uh, Twitch channel owners, which, by the way, if anyone's listening and has a YouTube channel or Twitch channel and wants to play with us sometime, please let me know. I'll happily set up a session. Um, we've had them come and play, and that night when they're playing with us is literally the first night they have ever played Sector 13, and they're hanging right in there with us, the developers. Uh, they're on the scoreboard, they're getting kills, they're having fun, they're never feeling like they're outmatched or not able to uh, get right in the match and play with us. Hmm. And uh, accessibility is very big, very big thing for me. Um, real simplified controls, it's very, very fun, but at the same time, uh, our flight model, I, in my opinion, is brilliant. You really do feel like you are flying a, a, a starfighter in space. And uh, that's because we worked very hard to strike a balance between <laughs> physics and fun. Um, oftentimes, super realistic physics are not fun, especially in, in space. So the, the, these fighters probably feel more like um, the ace combat style flight model in an atmosphere, but put in the space. So we tried to find that right balance between real tight control of your star fighters versus realistic physics. 
Um, we we are working a lot on balance right now. All the starfighters have a fairly well balanced uh, basic loadout between physical guns, energy weapons physical homing missiles or energy-based homing weapons and things like that. We've tried to strike a real good balance between all those. Um, not just the weapons, but the starfighter attributes themselves, having very fast starfighters that are very weakly armored but make up for it with their offensive weaponry and having the opposite, um, less nimble fighters that are really heavily armored that may have more better defensive weaponry, those types of situations. We've tried to get the rock, paper, scissors uh, dimensions of game design going with the starfighters. So... Um, Balance was weapon balance is an issue for us because we are introducing a hard point system to allow customizations of the fighters, and even with the hard point system, depending on what hard points are available to what fighters and in what quantities with ammos, etc., we are still trying to maintain that balance. Um, my system was devised of having wing-based hard points versus fuselage-based hard points, so that strike fighters and fighter bombers could carry more of the much heavier weapons that are fuselage-mounted versus the interceptors and tactical fighters that have to stick more with the uh, lighter weapons that mount on the wings. Uh, those types of things help offset some of the starfighter attributes as well to keep the whole system in balance. Um, the the whole concept of being able to buff stats on the fighters as well through some of these hard points and stuff is all taken into account to try and make sure that there is no one single best star fighter in the game in anyone's opinion. I'm hoping, you know, this will never be a pay-to-win type of game. And so even with all of the unlocks we hope to have, including additional star fighters and hard point weapons themselves, the key is, is that unlocking those things is not necessarily going to give you an advantage. It will be you know, something, a new fun toy for you to play with that we were hoping does not destroy the, the meta game of Sector 13 um, by introducing it. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to maintain that balance along the lines of the, the, the fighting game model that I explained before. I want to make sure that every starfighter in the game can hang with every other starfighter depending on the player. Okay. And then there's, there's some intrinsic challenges in these types of games. Like you're in, Unlike a first-person shooter, you're always in motion. Um, you can come to a full stop in Sector 13 via our uh, afterburn mechanic that stops you for a second so you can orient your fighter before blasting you off at like 300% your max velocity. Um, and so we found early on that there were a lot of jousts and turning battles. And you know that was something that plagued me back in my Wing Commander days. I hated the joust. I hated feeling like I was lobbing my weapons through space at a target. Uh, so we've worked very heavily to remove those situations. We have defensive weaponry like mines, uh, our afterburn mechanic, uh, special maneuvers that all are meant to reduce the turning battles and the jousting. And in our last few developer gameplay sessions when we've tested the game, it almost never happens anymore. It, that's one that like, I feel like we cracked it. I feel like we have solved that problem for the most part. Mm-hmm. And the level design themselves, we try to make sure the levels are extremely interactive. You know, If we have a space station, you can fly into that space station. You can fly in it, around it. Uh, the, ge- the arena geometry is part of the game, the same way cover would come into play on multiplayer maps in a first-person shooter. Okay. There are definitely arenas that will be more friendly to certain gameplay styles than others. And once we identify that, we try and make sure that we're creating an arena that does the exact that rewards the exact opposite end of the uh, end of the spectrum too. Although we only have two of those in right now, they are two kind of opposite extremes. Um, when it comes to gameplay, which is why we feel it works really well for the the current version of Sector 13 that we're showing off. Mm-hmm. I tend to be a high-risk, um, tight flyer, as it were. 
Um, am I going to be taking damage from all the things I will be bouncing off? Not if you pick the right fighter. If you pick okay. one of the looser fighters that tends to slide around a little more, you might have trouble. You pick one of the uh, more tighter star fighters, I think you will find that you're going to have a blast in some of the tight corners and uh, some of the more cluttered areas of our arenas. Especially because I think we figured out a way to award kills if you manage to slam the guy behind you like into an asteroid or something. I <laughs> have figured out a way. Like if, if, let's say I'm player, you're player A and I'm player B. If I am behind you and I've had my reticule on you for a couple seconds and I smash into something, which we call a stupicide at the moment, you committed stupicide, <laughs> uh, I will actually award player A a kill for having forced me into a stupicide. <laughs> that's that's so, pretty good. I like that. Yeah, yeah I, like I want to reward that type of behavior. <laughs> you can, you can, if you can uh, lead another player into a situation like that and get them to actually kill themselves, I think that should be rewarded. Sure, yeah. That's That's pretty good. <laughs> that's that is pretty good I like that I like the idea of like flying through a couple really tight turns and then suddenly going up while this dude goes into a wall exactly. I, yeah totally okay exactly and we are working on the problem of having um, non-static arena geometry a lot of our arena geometry right now is static but um, we are working on some procedurally uh, how to put this like certain zones we, one of the main arenas that we show off the most takes place in an asteroid field. But you can't actually go into the asteroid. All the ast asteroid field, all the asteroids that are in that arena are large static geometry that we placed by hand. However, we wanted to have zones uh, in and around the main static geometry where there would be lots of little asteroids that would get generated procedurally. So the problem we're working on is making sure that those are network visible. So that if you lead someone into that, into that messy area like that and fly right between two asteroids that are moving and they don't make it because the asteroids got just close enough now that they can't fit but you did you know that situation right out of movies and tv shows sure. i want it to happen and i want the players to see it and go oh my word that was awesome and i want the player that lived to get some points for it absolutely uh, you're right. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that we see in movies and stuff all the time. And it's you, know, you may see it in a scripted sequence in a, a story mode for a game like this. Um, but it's, it's something that I imagine is pretty hard to, to recreate uh, and especially reward in know, but, a multiplayer game. You, you, you ever play the Halo games or anything like that? I mean, those games live and die by these just incredible holy crap moments that are completely unscripted. It's just entirely by the players. Uh, how many times have you played a game like that where you're like, oh my gosh, that was awesome. Did you see that? And you're quick telling your Xbox to record it so you can put the clip online. <laughs> how awesome I remember back in the, uh, the older days, uh, the, the first driver, um, the, the very first kind of level that you get to kind of drive around and chase the cops and chase each other with friends and stuff was a, a version of Miami. Um, and they had a, the drive uh, between basically like Miami proper and Miami Beach is a real elongated uh, kind of like uh, bridge, and on uh, either side are the like um, uh, you've got like Star Island where like the the super richy rich folks live, and then you have like a bunch of cruise ships on the other side. Um, and so they the when you were running from the cops, they would set up a line across across the bridge. Um, and if you played it just right, you could squeeze in between like two. I want to say it was two of the cars on the left hand side and 
like just like getting straight on and like going just right into that hole, you'd actually miss both cars, so you'd come out without damage, and whoever was behind you would invariably slam into those cars. <laughs> and I it, that that used to be like my maneuver when I was being chased by my friends to hit that bridge, go full bore for that like one section, and then either you know pull a quick turn or or just just get right past it to just watch them go up in flames behind me and just laugh maniacally. That is awesome. I just I love I love that stuff. I love when a, a game can just give you that kind of elation from pulling that off. Exactly, and, then, and to, to to like know and to be able to so like I can only imagine like being in kind of at the helm uh, or at least feeling like you're at the helm of a of a ship like that in one of those pitched asteroid battles. And I mean, you know, I can't help but think about it with the the, uh, the impending movie release. Um, you know, I'm doing it in something movie? you know like the There's size. A movie coming yes, out. What, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. We were discussing things that were being scheduled this week, and I told everybody that I was not allowed to do anything on Thursday night. <laughs> I had previous engagements. We're all in that boat. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's the it's being able to pull. It's it's those unscripted moments that really make a game, and to be able to supply an arena for that kind of thing. Um, exactly. That that sounds really neat. Exactly. It's like. Something about it just feels so much better when you know that you know you weren't led there by the hand by a developer. It just it just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I, I we love that stuff. If you if you watch our developer death matches or even um, the summaries of some of the recent death matches we've had on our YouTube channel, you'll see. You know, we are just laughing and having a great time, being like, "Oh my gosh, did you see that?" And it, it, it you know, it's great. It's just. I wear my inspirations on my sleeves, and I, I grew up loving those games. And I just, I just want to have fans who enjoy my work, who are having those types of experiences that that I had and loved with those games. Absolutely. Um, on the flip side of the uh, the kind of uh, chaotic uh, multiplayer, where you're making your own events, we've talked about the the story behind. Sector 13, but is there any sort of story mode to the game that you guys are, are going to be trying to work on? Or I really hope so. Okay. I really hope so. We had, um, uh, Grumpy Sam and I had sat down and written out a complete campaign storyline for every faction in the game. And I'm actually pretty proud of how this system works. The idea was that all of our arenas, which I hope someday to have ten, ten or more arenas in, in the game, um, and the beauty about working with our Unity 3D engine is that we can actually have multiple versions uh, of, of each arena um, as scripts that can run depending on the game, what type of game is picked. So the way the arena is laid out, say, in a campaign or story mode could be different than the way that same arena is laid out when you choose it for, like, a regicide or a capture the flight pod. Um, but the story modes would basically be you as a pilot... Each arena has its own story, a particular conflict that took place there, or it has a particular relevance or significance to the story. So whatever that story for the arena might be, you as a pilot are going to play one of the sides of that story. So it could be that a particular key battle was fought in that particular arena. And so if you're playing the story mode, you'll be a pilot on one side of that battle, completing objectives to help make sure your faction wins that battle before moving on to the next story, et cetera, et cetera. Almost like a choose-your-own-adventure as you go through each arena, completing the storyline in each until you've completed the campaign for that faction, you know, to the ultimate conclusion for each, and we get you to the point 
where we wanted you to be for the conclusion of Sector 13 story and kind of moving on to what we hope is next for the universe. Um, but that takes... It, that will actually take a lot more money <laughs> than what we're currently asking for in our current Kickstarter. But it is in there as a stretch goal. Um, I used to be adamant that games had to have a single-player component f- for me to play them. And I, I don't, I don't want to seem hypocritical at all. Uh, it's just... It's just simple math at this point, you know, resources and money available to us. My dream is to have that full-fledged single-player mode available for Sector 13. And uh, with the right, right funding and the right backing, I'm, we're definitely going to do it. Okay. So with the, with the backing and Kickstarter, what, does, what is the money you are asking for? Where's that going? Uh, the amount of money that we're currently asking for is uh, primarily it's to fund a one year of development. Uh, before this call, before the recording actually started, I was telling a little bit about how um, my best friend and I, this is really, the, the Sector 13 is kind of our dream, our baby. We work with a fantastic team, um, but it's really been me and him down through the years kind of keeping this dream alive. Uh, he's gone all in. He's full-time on Sector 13 now at this point, to the point of quitting his day job, selling his house, and saying it's do-or-die time. So the current, our current Kickstarter really is to help support him for a year as well as we have art contracts, sound and music contracts, um, software costs on trying to get through the Xbox Live and PS4 process getting onto their their arcades and their stores, um, as well as supporting multiple platforms on PC, Linux, Macs. There's a lot of expenses involved in that, but the vision for that, our current Kickstarter campaign, is to be able to deliver... um, the full, uh, at least 25 out of the 32 Starfighters that I've planned fully fleshed out. Um, we want to have at least four full-fledged arenas out of those 10 that I described. Uh, I hope to do six. To, I hope to do at least six, maybe all 10. Um, we had worked out a budget and a timeline for one year based on that current level of funding that we believe is achievable that we outlined on the Kickstarter. Uh, and the big thing is going to be the available gameplay modes. We wanted to have the. Um, all of the most common favorites, like, uh, and we have our own terms for them. We have, you know, the classic deathmatch every man for himself that we call it blow up all the things. Um, the corporate wars, which are our team-based deathmatch. We have capture the flight pod, which would be our f- capture the f- uh, capture the flag mode, as well as we call it bury the ace, but it would be like the the regicide mode that showed up in a lot of the Halo games, where there's one team, um, there's one person in the match who's clearly been identified as the current king of the match. And so everyone is trying to take him down for extra bonus points. Um, and then the person who's able to take him down will become the new king, and then everyone is now after him type of thing, where the current king is being awarded points for how long he can stay alive while everyone else is trying to rack up points by taking him down and becoming the new king. Okay. Um, so that would be the minimum that we provide for that budget. And then we have the stretch goals, of course, to be able to include a lot more. Nice. Uh, you also mentioned in the uh, the list of features um, some. I'm sorry. I'm competitive. Sorry. I, sp- I spoke wrong. We do plan to have about twelve arenas available at that that budget. Okay. Fantastic. Um, you you also mentioned um, at least on the the Kickstarter page some cooperative multiplayer. Uh, how does that work in? To the, the oh yeah. Um, so we have a couple different ideas for cooperative play. Uh, the the corporate wars or the team death matches, of course, one. Also, I wanted the story mode to be playable by multiple players as well as a squad. So um, that, that story mode I described where you're a pilot on one side of, of events that take place in an arena, 
you're never alone in this. You're never a lone starfighter pilot and everything rests on you. I always want the player to feel like they're a part of, you know, a much bigger, grander scenario than that part of these huge battles in space and things. So as part of that, there would be other pilots on your side, of course. And rather than having them be AI, there's no reason that those can't be other players and even be coordinated with you uh, via some simple gamepad commands. So I used to love... Um, I used to love like tactical shooters, and there was one called, I wanted to call it Red Dawn, but it's not called Red Dawn, but it was on the Xbox. I can't think of what it was called. Was it like a, a Rainbow Six kind of shooter, or what? Kind of. The, the basic principle of it was that you, the player, always, you were, you were a soldier, you were running around, but there was always five or six other, other soldiers with you. And even when they were AI controlled, you could press like up on the D-pad to say go attack that point that you were that had your like targeting reticule on, or you could push left to say defend this spot, and there'd be a certain radius around you that they would all spread out, take up cover, and, and start to defend. There was, you could put um, them in these different states. There was Operation Flashpoint that had a. That was another one that was very good. Was, there was something red in one of those. Um, there was red the where river. Russia, Russia invaded America. Freedom Fighters. Free- oh, my God. Yeah, that Freedom game was Fighters. fantastic. Fantastic. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It was great because it was so simple. The AI that you fought alongside was so smart. And, like, it was one of the few games where you felt like they actually did what you wanted them to do in most situations. And you could very easily put them in one of four different states via the, the gamepad. And I kind of want that same. I kind of want that same feeling. In that, uh, uh, if you are playing by yourself through the story mode, I would like there to be AI-controlled wingmen that you can basically put into different states. You can tell them to get very aggressive with you. You can tell them to watch your six. Um, you can give them different uh, objectives like that and have the AI be smart and play alongside you to help you accomplish those story mode objectives as part of the immersion and making you feel like you're you know, a part of this giant fleet that has gone to war and not this you know, lone pilot where somehow the fate of the world depends on you type of thing. Um, sure. And uh, games like Freedom Fighters, I felt, pulled it off so well. And I know Sector 13 could do very similar. But at the same time, those wingmen that are flying with you could be other players that are just simply given um, indicators on their HUD for what another player is desiring them to do. Um, it could just be, you know, press up on the D-pad to say, I'm in trouble, come get this guy off me, those types of things. And uh, try and help the players coordinate, not just through voice, but also um, by the the actual game controls and our heads-up display, encouraging cooperation like that. Okay. I feel like the classes work very well together, too, in that, um, similar to the way the Battlefield games work, if everyone was a recon, it gets real boring real fast, because everybody's just hiding and trying to point out other players in a team. So I wanted the classes of fighters to work together very well, too, in that if your objective is to take down a capital ship, interceptors cannot even equip the types of weapons that will damage the capital ships. You would need a strike fighter or a fighter bomber, okay. kind of like the engineer class or something like that from Battlefield. So the other players' roles would be to fly like tactical fighters or interceptors to keep that strike fighter covered while he tries and accomplish the bigger objective of, bringing, of causing you know, some sort of damage to the capital ship and progressing along the objective. Okay. You mentioned guarding a six. Um, I need to know what your favorite piece of fake military jargon is that you've created for Sector 13. Oh, this is a good one. (laughs) 
fake military jargon. You know, there's got to be something. You know, like everybody's always, you know, like home base. Oh, or, I know, right? Yeah. So you have you have to have something. You guys are far too creative to just rely on the standard stuff. There's got to be something good in there. You say that, but I'm ashamed to say that I, I, <laughs> nothing is coming to mind. Partly because uh, Ryan is a licensed pilot. Ryan actually um, has his pilot's license, and and you know he he knew he knew all the real life jargon, and so um, um, oh you know I I know I know. So we were we were huge fans of the Biosar Galactica TV series that mm-hmm. was on in the early two thousands. One of my one of my all time favorite shows ever, and they came up with some really great terms along like the Galactica Actual, and uh, they had uh, combat air patrols and things like that. And they actually made up some of those terms. They used some real world terms and then had some of their own that we have blatantly ripped off uh, in Sector Thirteen. And uh, you know we haven't made up any fake swear words yet, but we might do a few of those too. <laughs> We we have a slang I would say like um, the one the one uh, the one faction is the uh, Dracon Consor uh, yeah the Dracon Consortium so they are there was this uh, constellation this area of space that was a constellation the Draco cluster that uh, the Drac kind of settled as their main home their core home worlds so they became Drac Consolidated Industries which became Dracon which turned into Dracon Consortium as they became a nation state. So of course, we wanted to have a lot of pilot chatter. We have some great voice artists that have uh, volunteered to work with us because nobody on the team has been paid yet. By the way, um, we had some great voice artists that were volunteering to work for us, and we had a bunch of pilot chatter that we recorded, including, you know, calling them the Drac as a as a derogatory term, and um, there's a different like slang nickname for all the different factions for the pilot banter and the pilot chatter and those types of things. That that kind of stuff to us, we were hoping would make the whole universe just feel a little more real. Like, without even explaining to the player that these are grizzled old vets, you would kind of be able to tell just from the way they talk to each other. Like, I just, you know, I just dusted that filthy drac and stuff like that. Like between the pilots. Sure, sure, makes sense. Absolutely, that kind of there's there's nothing that makes a world feel more lived in than having like shorter terms to refer to other big terms. <laughs> and to, to like to, to incorporate that like a uh, 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 actual believable slang is probably one of the harder um, kind of language things to get in there. We have come up with a lot of our own like science terms, like uh, the scan R for the the uh, the sensor systems that make up the situational awareness for the fighters, and uh, we have. Uh, our own terms for like fold space and shield weaves and all of that that we've kind of integrated into the lore of the game that we feel like players pick up without us even having to explain it. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite movies ever is that John Wick movie. Okay, yeah. Like Absolutely. Movie. Brilliant movie. If you think about it, that movie established this entire like subculture of hitmen. Yep. Of crazy hitmen and like the this honor bound society that they live in where this one hotel serves as like yeah, the they, mother base and no business. They gets had done their there. own currency. They had their own rules that they all lived by. They had this hotel that everyone just understood the the etiquette and decorum. And the, the filmmakers never explained any of that to us. They never had to. Just through the process of watching that movie, you 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 felt like you could understand these people and their motivations and and how that entire system worked. 
without them ever having any exposition. There was never a point in that movie where one character explained it to another for the audience's sake. You know, those types of things I think are brilliant when it comes to just just respecting the intelligence. A, a ginormous case of gold coins out of the floor, <laughs> handing a stack of them to the dude who comes in to clean out his house of like the fourteen dead bodies that are inside of him, and just being like, "Thanks a lot, Mick." <laughs> you know, thanks that for coming movie by. Was so <laughs> great. Uh, when the Russian guy, when they'd say, uh, "You know, what did my son do?" Like he killed a dog. Like so, and like it was John yeah, Wick's dog. dog. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh. that's that's probably my favorite part. <laughs> that's the best. Oh, that phone call to John Leguizamo. <laughs> <laughs> you I can heard see you in that guy's face. <laughs> He's yeah. just so scared. Like I did. What did he do? He killed a dog. Okay, it was John Wick's dog. <laughs> Damn it! Because <laughs> you could see the look on the Russian guy's face, like he oh, his son crap. Dead. <laughs> and then he proceeds to just punch his son because it's like you were the. And, and what makes it even better is the fact that the the son is the actor who plays Theon in the Game of Thrones yep. show. And yeah, that guy maybe. is a total tool on that show too, so it was just yeah, great. That's just poor getting, actor, man, getting typecast yo, like that. <laughs> poor guy, just yeah, typecasted into those roles. <laughs> I still like the other thing. The other thing, and I don't want to spoil this movie for anybody who hasn't seen it. But the other thing I love about that movie is at the end, John Wick doesn't like give give uh, Theon's character or, or uh, Alfie's character uh, a speech. Or nope. make him try and understand why he was so angry, or justify his actions. He just, the guy's like, it was just a dog bang. <laughs> just straight up pops him and walks away. They, no more, no more thought is needed other than that. I came here to do a job. That was my job. I'm do. done. Never hesitated for a second. Didn't let the guy beg for his life. Nothing. Just bang, done. <laughs> so great. And that's Sorry. you know, what? and it's real. It's real interesting that that's something that, that people hold on to about that because there's so many other times where people like to, especially in movies where like they just get played with for no reason and to just see such a business even even when the business is revenge, to see just a, a real like cut and dry this is what I'm here for this is what I'm doing, there is no explanation needed, you're simply going to die <laughs> yep oh it was great uh, sorry, I like to gush about that. That's it's okay. Really not a problem. To do with... As you can tell, I have no problem with that. <laughs> and now that we're done with the John Wick minute. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's available on Netflix, just saying. Nice. <clears throat> I should watch that at some point in time. It's, uh, along with all the thousands of other movies that I should watch. But, you know, we'll get there eventually, one of these days. Um, so back to um, back to Sector 13 and the, the Kickstarter. Uh, what are some of your favorite rewards that you guys have for, for people that back the game? Oh, good question. Um, so uh, as an artist, uh, one of the considerations that we were uh, kind of forced into is the idea that um, we, we wanted to avoid too many physical rewards. Mm-hmm. We had heard the horror stories of how the, the physical rewards can just destroy a game's budget. Sure. So we first and foremost, we tried to focus on digital rewards that would be meaningful, that would be things people w- would actually want and, and care about. So we uh, we do these developer death matches all the time where we bring in like our super fans to come and play with us and things. 
And we're like, wouldn't this actually be a, a great reward if um, this was a, was a formalized process? We actually refer to them as advisory boards. So we have a tier where there's three different options where you can be on one of these advisory boards where we will make sure that during this pre-alpha stage while we're doing these types of deathmatch sessions that we play at least three sessions, hopefully much more than that, but we're promising a minimum of three, where that night's topic will be around a specifically, say, starfighter balance or weapon balance or um, arena design. And the people at that tier will be brought in to play those sessions with us where we want you to help us get this right like if you're on that weapons advisory board um you will play three sessions minimum with the developers where the focus is on the hardpoint weapons and the ship weapons and are we getting the balancing right does anything feel off do you feel like certain weapons can be exploited uh those sorts of situations where we are hoping that you this person on this advisory board will be a part of the process to see how we you know get, get go behind the curtain a little bit and see how how much work actually goes into getting these things right and how your input can help shape how that shakes out. Very cool. Um, I've got another one, by the way, which I think needs explaining, where um, I will actually design you your own Starfighter. Uh, that's that's really, really high up there at, like, I don't know, it's a f- fairly ridiculous amount of money where you can actually spend a weekend with me and we will make an entire Starfighter together almost from scratch as far as we can get through that weekend. And uh, you will actually get to decide whether or not that Starfighter that we designed together is available to the general audience of Sector 13. You can choose to reserve it for yourself permanently where you'll be the only one to ever fly that Starfighter. Or you can be so proud of your design that you want the community to have access to it and decide how they get access to it, what the achievement that unlocks it or what the method of unlocking that particular Starfighter might be. Um, At a lesser tier than that, though, I will do custom Starfighter skins where together, you know, we'll get on a Skype call like this and we'll actually work through a template for a Starfighter skin where you can completely customize it to be your own um, within reason. Like, if you want a pink Hello Kitty Starfighter, I'll make you a pink Hello Kitty Starfighter. (laughs) If you want to go a little bit uh, not-so-family-friendly or so, that would be the only type of restrictions that I would put on it. Like, you know, you can't have, like, the flying Hitler-did-nothing-wrong Nazi ship or anything like that. We can, I can definitely make you, you know, your own custom uh, Hello Kitty fighter or whatever it is you might want. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Another game where I can't fly the Von Fuhrer. Damn it. <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny because um, I've been designing t-shirts, too, as part of our Kickstarter campaign. There is one tier where you can pick from uh, one of the five faction-designed t-shirts. And my original design for the Magnari Corporation... Um, I didn't see this at first. I designed this brilliant T-shirt design. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I showed it to the team. Like, guys, what do you think? And they're all like, um, it, it was because the the Magnari faction is all based around like birds, like we have the Falcon, the Raven, um, the Hawkeye, those types of names. So I had this beautiful like bird symbol with it. It was like a black bird with its arms raised, with the Magnari symbol right in the middle of its crest type of thing. It was just beautiful. And they're like. Uh, you know the Nazis used pretty much that exact symbol in World War II, right? And I'm like, whoops. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. But, uh, ah, the old too much Nazi problem. So I had to redo that t-shirt. But So so would you say that you did not see that? I did not see that coming, no. All right. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you read my mind. 
that's what I'm here for. Um, so, uh, final question so that... Oh. If, by the way, if he, he listens to this and realizes we spent that much time talking about Nazis, he's going to eat me, but... <laughs> Oh well, he wasn't here, so you know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, I've I've got one more question before we go on to the end game, um, and it's it's a little bit of a sad question, and it, I have to ask it every time though. What happens if you guys don't make the uh, the Kickstarter? Where where does Sector Thirteen well, go gonna, from here? We're gonna keep going. Like I said, Ryan is Ryan is do or die at this point. Um, it's it's funny you bring that up because everyone who has seen our Kickstarter, watched our videos, or tried the game with us has loved it. I mean, the feedback has been almost universally positive. We're on Steam Greenlight right now, and I'm very proud of the fact that we are already in the top 100. We're number we're currently number 94, and we did that in five days. Okay. Which you know, I as far as I know, that's fairly unheard of, but. Uh, that's pretty nice, and honestly, given yep. the look of your game compared to a lot of the other stuff on Greenlight, <laughs> I think you guys are going to be okay. Um, I, I am very proud of that. I mean, there are some games on Greenlight now that are just fantastic. I've got a couple friends with uh, Greenlight campaigns going right now with games that are, are pretty pretty great, pretty neat. But um, I am very proud of that, and and everybody who's left a comment on our Greenlight or voted for us, I want you to know how it just means the world to me. Um. It seems like everybody who who finds us loves us, but we just can't. We have no marketing, like I said, we have no marketing or PR budget. I just don't know how to get our fans to find us. Sure. So, um, we have learned a lot from this Kickstarter to the point where if this one was to fail, we would probably be trying again in a few months. Probably, I'd probably take out a second mortgage on my house and hire a PR firm or something to try and help us do this better next time. I, at this point, I truly feel like it's just a matter of exposure. If if people could just find us, they would love us. Fantastic. I just I don't know how to do that. That is a deficiency on our team. Mm-hmm. Of all the fantastic, talented people that I've brought into this team, somebody who who's a trained marketer, PR, is, is not something we have. I mean, my wife is acting as our community manager right now. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a skill that she has picked up in order to help me out. Um, you know, I wish I wish we had someone whose job on the team was just business and relationships and public relations and marketing. I feel like that's really what we're missing. Yeah. Well, uh, Brian, take, take us out of this, uh, this little bit of a downer here. Yeah. <laughs> Something far more fun. <laughs> we'll do that. We like to, we like to end our, our, uh, our interviews with a little bit of a questionnaire. Uh, we call it the end game. Uh, it's a, it's a few questions more aimed at you. Uh, and not necessarily, you know, the game or the studio, and uh, just kind of getting a, a feeling for where you are uh, in video games right now. Sure, sure. By looking at your past and by asking you immersive questions, or oh. rather, that require some explanation. But All right. never mind that. First question: Who is your favorite video game protagonist? I grew up loving Link from The Legend of Zelda. Hmm. Um, I loved The Legend of Zelda. They were. Fifth, fifth grade Drew was inspired to make video games by The Legend of Zelda. Um, you know, back at the time, I thought video games were made by little Japanese elves that they locked in a closet somewhere and games magically popped out. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't until much, much later that I realized you can actually make a living at making games. But, uh, you know, I grew up in the 8-bit era, and some of those games, for what they were able to accomplish were just magic. And The Legend of Zelda was one of the first games that opened my eyes to just what an amazing world games could be. That's, sure. 
it, I think it's amazing how, because uh, like I kind of had the same <clears throat> the same feeling too, not just about Link, but about the fact that like I didn't I didn't even consider that this was a possibility uh, that doing something uh, with video games, whether it's writing about them or making them, could you make you money? And which is I find so hilarious given that so much of my childhood was put like playing games and reading about games that when it came to kind of pick a job that that wasn't like number one on my list. We're, we're brought up to believe it's not feasible or it's not realistic or something. Yeah, or just not even, like, not even, it's not one of those, you don't take an assessment test at school and they're like, you know what, you're you not going to be a farmer, designer. you're going to be a video game writer. Exactly. Like, that yeah. would have been, yeah, that would, that would there, there were signs, damn it, there were signs. <laughs> uh, question number two, uh, flipping the coin, um, who is your favorite antagonist? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. Because, of course, I loved Ganondorf, uh, especially from um, um, the, uh, uh, gosh, I can't believe this is, like, one of my favorite games of all time. Oh, Ocarina of Time. Ganondorf okay. and Ocarina Yes. That was a great you know, fight, too. You know, I, my son, my son just turned 11, and a couple years ago, they released the uh, Ocarina of Time remake for the 3DS, and I bought it for him, mm-hmm. and he loved it. Listening to him play that game and hearing the music, seeing how excited he was when he finally got to fight Ganon and, and beat the game, and I was just, it was like, I don't know, I don't want to get too mushy and tear up here, but it was just <laughs> amazing to see it all over again through the eyes of my son, you know what I mean, like, such a great game, but we also had um, we also had uh, a Wii when he was very young, when he was four years old, and um, he loved Mario Galaxy, which was his his first Super Mario experience. It was funny. I actually bought a Wii for myself. I wanted to play Twilight Princess, mm-hmm. and um, um, I bought both Twilight Princess and Mario Galaxy at the same time. And I was playing Twilight Princess, and my son would watch, and he's like, eh, this is interesting. One day he's like, Daddy, can we put this one in? He hands me Mario Galaxy. I hadn't even tried it yet. And I was like, uh, sure, let's give this a shot. So I put Mario Galaxy in the Wii and turned it on, and it was like it was like a light came down from heaven. Just, oh, the choir of angels. My son was hooked. <laughs> and he has loved video games ever since. Super Mario Galaxy 2 was one of the first games I ever let him like stay up for a midnight launch for. We counted down the days all throughout May until Super Mario Galaxy 2 came out. And um, that game, I mean, to this day, I think it, it, it has to be one of the most perfect, but just perfection of that formula that's ever been made. And my son played that game with me for hours. We played together trying to get all the stars and all the levels. And uh, see how excited he was to fight Bowser in that game, the Bowser fight in that game as the main antagonist. I've just never seen, you know, that was one of the first time I've ever seen him just so excited, so just absolutely elated to have beaten a game, to have conquered something and get that I just beat the game feeling like we used to have as kids. And man, I would just love to make a game that could give that feeling again. Like I think the last game to make me feel that way was when I beat Dark Souls 2. I felt like I'd truly done, like I'd truly accomplished Something amazing, you know? You'd conquered everything. I'm there, <laughs> I'm at the top of the mountain. If I could beat that game, man, I could do anything. <laughs> yep. Man. So so yeah. who's your favorite um, antagonist, then? 
Uh, so are we going with That was a really long-winded way of telling you nothing. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that's, what, that's why I have Jonathan here. Because <laughs> I was convinced that you had said something there and I was going to move on, but I'm glad he's keeping track. <laughs> I can't endorse <laughs> All right. <laughs> Definitely getting dark from uh, Ocarina of Time. All right, you moved Excellent. on to Mario there, so I didn't know if it was a long way of saying, actually, you know what? It's Bowser. Yeah. But, uh. <laughs> I mean, Bowser would be wrong, but yeah, at the same time. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> um, question number three. Um, so if you could think of one thing in video games today, kind of like a trend, um, that's not as big as you think it should be, um, what would it be? It's not as big as I think it should be. It's something that you, you you really like, um, but that uh, maybe a lot of people aren't doing, or people are kind of ignoring that you think should either come back into fashion or you know like hey this this needs to go somewhere outside of the of course like you know space combat. <laughs> no, that is actually a really good question. Boy, that's that's a really good question. I gotta think about that one. Oh, I know. Um, whatever happened to linear stories like um i love i'll bring it back to the halo series i loved the halo series uh, but it was essentially a linear story where you were just going through a bunch of missions but what you know the story itself was brilliant the set pieces were brilliant the action was brilliant and um you know that game never needed to provide you some sort of open sandbox world or allow you to have multiple progressing paths and things and I don't know, I kind of miss the days where you could just have a really good story told very well that, you know, you the player were in charge of it, but um, I, I feel like some of the more recent attempts, I'm trying to think of the first person shooter game where you were kind of in charge of time, like you could rewind time Time shift? Um, I can't think of what it was called, but it was one of the last it was one of the last first-person shooters I played that was just completely unpretentious about the fact that it was a completely linear story, just that, you know, the game makers had a story they wanted to tell, and you played through it as the protagonist. But at no point was there ever any chance of anything happening other than what happens in the game, you know what I mean? Like, hmm. Man, just, the last one I played like that, it had to be, like, one of the Bioshocks. That's another really good one. Yeah, that, where it's just like, it, it's like even in the where there's like little bits of like tiny choices like you're still that Ken Levine is taking you on a ride and you're going to go where he wants you to where he wants you to go. Yeah, I just hate to see us I I, I mean, I love Fallout. I I love Fallout just like everybody else does, right? But I don't need every game I play to be Fallout. Sometimes I just want, you know, uh, a summer popcorn thriller versus the cerebral ultra involving deep storyline. And I think there's a place in the world for both, and I hope they keep making, you know, I hope they keep making just some really great linear games, as well as, you know, the Just Cause 3s and the Fallout 4s. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, flipping the coin, um, the next question is, uh, what, uh, what trope would you like to see just go away completely? Um, super-powered kung fu girls. Super powered kung fu girl. Okay, explain. Okay, so let me explain. Let me explain. I know this one probably sounds really, really bad, but like, I couldn't stand the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I couldn't stand it. I know this is heresy because I loved Firefly, right? And Buffy the well, Vampire Slayer. I mean, if, Slayer, if you have to choose one of those two, you chose the correct one, so it's okay. Yes, absolutely correct. Um, 
I don't feel like Buffy the Vampire Slayer really sold the fact to me that this little teenage girl could go around and beat the ever-living crap out of guys three times her size. And I'm all for girl empowerment and rah-rah stuff, but like, you know, at least in Firefly, they made me believe that Summer could do the things she could do and why she could do them. Hmm. That was very important to me. Like, I play the Tekken games, right? And when I'm playing the Tekken games, I'm in charge of this little Chinese schoolgirl who probably weighs 90 pounds. And they put her in the arena with a grizzly bear, and she proceeds to kick the crap out of the grizzly bear. And that, to me, is just like... <laughs> with exploding I'm sorry, fists. It's not a relatable scenario, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like, uh, give me a reason to believe she can do that, please. Like, heck, if you're gonna put if you're gonna put a hundred and ten pound guy in a ring with a grizzly bear, give me a reason to believe he can do that, you know? But I feel like in this great quest for equality in video games, we've created some very unbelievable characters, uh, especially female characters in the name sure. of. We have well, to be well, even. Women, Even with the you know sense of equality that people are trying to go for, there's still the very much the objectification of women, and it's it's okay to have a huge muscular guy, and like you put him in a situation that, you know, his muscles help him be you know strong or fit or whatever. Yeah. But then you have this woman who's like very shapely and super slender, and it's like, well, no, she probably barely holds herself up being that skinny. She's not going to be, you know, kicking people's asses. I mean, I'm a big MMA fan, right? And they'll never put they'll never put Holly Holmes or Ronda Rousey in, in, in a ring with a man. And there's a reason they will never do that, no matter, even if, they are, even if they're the same weight, height, whatever, they'll, they'll never do that. And there's a reason they'll never do that. But on the flip side, on the flip side, I think it's absolutely ridiculous how, like, you can have your male character wear this massive suit of armor that, um, you know, covers him from head to toe in, like, dragon scales and spikes and stuff. And then when you pick the female character, she's wearing basically a bikini. Sure. It's like, so she's going to go fight the forces of evil (laughs) in a bikini while the dude gets, like, this massive set of armor. Yep. But, like, you know, it's just... I don't know. I think it's a little ridiculous how far we've taken those things to to try and create. I don't know. But you know, it's funny in real life. Like my wife is a marathon runner, and um, I consider myself in pretty good shape. But every now and then, if we have a babysitter or a family over, she'll be like, "Hey, honey, you go for, go want to go for a run with me?" And I'm like, "Yeah, let's go." And I can't I can't keep up with her. She just she just leaves me in her dust. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there sure. are things that she's fantastic at that I'm not and vice versa. And I feel like in the video game world, they're so eager to try and make it seem like we're all capable of the same things under the same circumstances. And I prefer, prefer the trope of if you're going to have a female main character, give me a reason to believe she can do the things she can do. And there are some games that are brilliant at that. Even, even like, uh, uh, even the Tomb Raider series. I love the remake of the Tomb Raider. Yeah, I was going to say, especially the the new stereo. Yeah, yeah. The old Tomb Raider was an objectifying, stereotypical, you know, she was basically a female G.I. Joe, and it was ridiculous. Hmm. But in the new, the new Tomb Raider, they actually made her, like, a relatable human being and gave her this backstory and things that made you believe that she could do the things she could do. And in my opinion, didn't try and make the situation she was in so over the top. I don't know. I think you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Sure. Sure. Indeed. All right. Next question. 
Uh, you are actually doing what you train to do now. Um, and, and doing video game art. <laughs> or at least, you know, some of it. Um, is there a, a, any other profession, um, if you had no restrictions, um, that you'd like to take a, uh, take a shot at? Uh, I'd like to be an NFL quarterback, I guess. But Alright. <laughs> That's fair <laughs> enough. We've had, I honestly... we've had responses that run the gamut from, you know, your standard, like, astronaut, firefighter type things. Uh, somebody wanted to be in a metal band, um, yeah. and somebody wanted to do something as simple as forge, um, like, bikes. Yep. That, so, you know, all that stuff sounds really, really cool. I, yeah. It's, yeah. You know, I think my yeah. problem is this has been my dream for so long. I just, I couldn't even, I don't know. This is all I've wanted to do. I mean, I've had successful careers for day jobs, and always, always there's been this dream that someday I'd be able to create something that had fans, and that, you know, some of those feelings those old games used to give me, like I was describing before, that I could create something that could bring that kind of joy to people. Mm -hmm. This is... This is pretty much all I've ever wanted. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, next question. Uh, if you could go back and play a game for the first time, what would it be? Hmm. Probably The Adventure of Link on my NES. Okay. So, uh, so uh, Zelda 2? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. I know it's kind of like the Black Sheep with the Zelda games. It the is. They, really, they, took a, they took a couple real big chances with that one. And it was, it was both real interesting and like, wow, what are they doing? Boy, to like, to like, to like sixth grade little Drew, that game was magic. Mm -hmm. That game was absolute magic. And although there's been many, many games I have absolutely loved since, I still, I feel like that one was one of the, f the first experiences that really opened up to my imagination to what games could be. I mean, I loved the first Zelda, of course, but then the second one was so different. I was. It, it made me see that like they didn't have to just do the same thing they'd done before, story and new new levels or whatever, to give you this amazing new experience. And that's also something I've always loved about uh, Miyamoto, is that he's he's such a risk taker with this stuff. He's always he seems to create these new genres just by deciding he doesn't want to do the same thing over and over again. And, and it always whatever he touches just seems to work. Sure. The man is the man is insane that way, for sure, <laughs> and probably in many other ways. But you know, he he knows he knows what he likes and he knows how to design things, and it's just glorious. Absolutely, I mean, obviously, of course, personal hero of mine. <laughs> the funny thing is, I read that he grew up idolizing Disney, and I would say I would say Super Mario is probably at least as recognizable all over the world, maybe more than Mickey Mouse. Oh, at least. Yeah. yeah, totally. My kids know them both, so you know. <laughs> That's where I go um, Final question. Thank you, dog. Um, at, the, at the end of our lives... Okay, you're done, DJ. Um, at the end of our lives, when we come to the, uh, the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and Toad is there to greet us with the Book of Our Deeds, uh, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? So it's Toad. Right. Totally. Major I domo. Like, 
boy, I... I would just like him to say, your games were beloved by many. I mean... What this what this really is for me, and I'm not trying to be overly sentimental or sappy here, but like, I just I just hope that someday, you know, somebody loves, somebody out there loves something that I created. The way I have these fond memories of the games I grew up playing, and now I'm creating all these new fond memories, watching my son experience them. I just hope somebody experiences that experiences that from something that I created. Sure. That's that's a good answer. That's okay. a, that's as good an answer as you can give. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, that's the end of the questionnaire. Uh, Jonathan, uh, show him what he's won. Take us home. Well, you have won our love and respect, but we have no prizes for you. Um, but there are, well, they're not really prizes, but there are rewards waiting for people if they back Sector 13. So, Drew, if you could let our listeners know where they can go to find out more about your game. Uh, Sector13.net uh, would be a great place to start, um, but I would really appreciate it if you would click the big Back Us on Kickstarter link and check out our Kickstarter, um, although I will not necessarily ask you to give us money. Um, if Sector 13 is not the kind of game you like, but that you think it's a neat and worthwhile project, if you could just go ahead and share the Kickstarter with everyone that you've ever met, ever in your entire life, um, <laughs> I would appreciate that. Because right now we are just... Because <laughs> right now we're just really hoping to find our fans. Sure. Um, we also are on Steam Greenlight right now, and uh, if you could spare... If you have a Steam account and could spare us uh, an upvote, that would also... Or a yes vote... That would be very much appreciated as well. Um, if you're out there and you have a YouTube channel or a Twitch stream uh, and you'd like to play with us, the development team, sometime, I promise you will have an absolute blast. And we ask nothing of you other than to just simply share us with your audience. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much again for, for joining us, and good luck with the uh, the rest of the Kickstarter campaign, with the Greenlight campaign, with, with helping Ryan move at the holidays. You've got a busy uh, couple of weeks here ahead of you. Sure do. Thank you, guys. Have a great night, and thank you, everybody out there in Internet land. 